It's a few minutes after five, and so I'm going to call the meeting to order. Can I have the uh, clerk call the roll, please? Good evening. I'll be calling roll. roll. Um, Michelle Lawrence. Here. Um, Joe DeBrice. Who's here? Oh. Um, Trustee Hernandez? She's absent today. Okay. Um, Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charlin? Uh, here by phone. Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. Trustee Zorke? Here. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, now I will ask for public comment, as we do at most of our board meetings. And the first person to uh, come forward or may speak to the board. And if you'll notice, there's timers up there. Each individual has three minutes. Uh, and if you will come up to the microphone, it'll be important for you to speak into the microphone so that we can hear you clearly. The first person is John Pearson. Hello everyone, can you hear me? My name is John Pearson, I'm a nurse here at Highland in the ER. I've been with AHS for a little over three years now. Um, and I'm here tonight with my coworkers and other members from SEIU 10 to 1 to give you all uh, about 600 signatures that we've collected asking AHS to take patient and worker safety seriously. Um, we are concerned that from what we're seeing from AHS management, that AHS is not taking patient and worker safety seriously. Um, you're going to be hearing from some of my coworkers and fellow members tonight about specific details about that. But we're seeing when we come to work and try to do our best to take care of our patients, community members, that our priority for safe patient care and a safe work environment for ourselves is not being upheld by AHS management. We're here asking you to share that concern with us. Thank you for hearing us tonight. Thank you, John. The next person is Karen Lee. Hello, trustees. My name is Karen Lee. I am a medical clerk in the emergency room. have been a medical clerk for 19 years. AHS must prioritize safety for workers and patients. Last year alone, 293 Alameda Health Systems workers injured on the job. I am one of them. I went to sit down. The chair was broken. It was one they had brought over, recycled from the old med surge floors and clinics. It slipped out from under me. I wound up on the floor, staring up dazed at my co-workers. I am still recovering from that injury. Unsafe conditions like this is why we are fighting for AHS to place a higher priority on worker and patient safety. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. The next one, Veronica. 
Hello, good evening, trustees. Uh, my name is Ronica Palacios, and I've worked as an eligibility specialist here at Hannon Hospital for the past 16 years. Um, I am concerned about the message AHS has sent to workers by firing a coworker for not and firing a coworker for placing um, safety first. Uh, Ms. Sean Harris is one of my coworkers at Highland Hospital. She was fired, for, like I said, for placing safety first. When a patient at Highland was placed in isolation for public health and safety reasons, Ms. Sean was asked to enter the isolation room to admit the patient. Ms. Sean, who was nine months pregnant, determined that this would place her unborn child in harm's way. She communicated this to management and they refused to assist and consider her safety. Management brutally fired Ms. Sean. This sends the wrong message to patients and workers that safety doesn't count. It sends a message not to raise safety and concerns. There is not even room for discussion. Scaring workers into silence is not a good environment for patients or workers. Thank you. Thank you, Veronica. Evangeline Kinsey. Hello, trustees. My name is Evangeline Kinsey. I work in food services at San Leandro Hospital. I am here tonight to stand with my coworkers and our bargaining team and asking you to please place a higher priority on safety for patients, workers at Alameda Health System. My life has been severely impacted since I was injured while doing my job as a cook at San Leandro. Since then, I've had multiple surgeries and my injury has prevented me from continuing to work as a cook. When I returned to work, I was stripped of my job title, my pay was lowered, and I was required to work a split shift from 10 to 2.15 and then from 5 to 9. All of this is the result of working environment which invited injury and a lack of valuing workers. And I'm not alone. Listen to my coworkers and our representatives on the bargaining team. Unsafe environments and conditions at AHS serve no one. Workplace injuries serve no one. Not patients and certainly not workers. Thank you. Uh, Margaret Coffey? Coffey? Thank you very much for this opportunity to speak. My name is Margaret Coffey. I'm a psychiatrist and I work at the Alameda Health System Highland Hospital campus of the Outpatient Psychiatric Services Clinic. Um, I am here today in the fervent hope that this board will endorse the Healthy California Act, SB 562, um, today. This bill would finally end unreimbursed care. And while the ACA brought some significant improvements, it drained money from safety net hospitals, which continue to struggle to provide unreimbursed care to uninsured patients. SB 562 would free us from complex, complex billing, formulary, and coverage rules, and would allow Alameda Health System to shift resources from eligibility and billing staff to direct patient care services. It would also open all of our programs to all patients who are appropriate instead of some people being shut out. Um, as an example, the Highland Outpatient Psychiatric Clinic can only treat patients who have Medicare coverage 
and some private insurance. Therefore, if they have no insurance or Medi-Cal, we cannot accept them. I went to a Grand Rounds at John George several months ago where there was a lively discussion about how to coordinate between PES and the inpatient units so that we could get more people into uh, intensive outpatient treatment. And it, we figured out that the insurance status of the patients that were the frequent flyers uh, often was not Medicare. So we could not help. And that if we could take anybody, we could probably um, definitely Probably definitely, we could significantly decrease the overcrowding at PES and at John George. Um, one, in addition, one single health plan and one single formulary could certainly decrease the wasted clinical time um, in struggling with denials and approvals. Uh, now that Medicare and Medicaid are both mm -hmm. uh, balkanized into multiple plans, uh, even public sector doctors have to struggle with uh, formulary differences. And I don't know whether any medication will be improved and approved until the pharmacy runs that medication and then I find out. Um, and there, could there be a worse use of a physician's time or a pharmacist's time? Um, also, um, regarding the new costs of this program and how it will affect the overall state budget, the Healthy California campaign expects to have results of an economic analysis with financing options available by mid-May. So we hope any day. We anticipate that this economic analysis will show that the total cost of providing um, the benefits covered by SB 562, which are more generous than basically any healthcare plan, since we'll also include vision and dental, um, will be less than, or at the most, no greater than uh, current costs. Because there have been dozens of studies over the years, including one for California, which is now outdated, but there have been many, many studies in California, for other states, for the whole United States, and of course other countries. Um, also, regarding concern about other uh, public and social services, there should be no negative impact because the Healthy California Trust Fund will be sequestered in its part of the state budget. Um, in fact, there's likely to be an enormously positive impact on other services because public agencies at all levels will no longer be burdened with um, uh, providing employee health insurance. So uh, that'll be a big savings for their budgets. So therefore, please uh, endorse this bill. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Margaret. Our last speaker is Don Del Monte. Hello. Um, I'm here to respectfully request your endorsement for the Healthy California Act Senate Bill 562 as well. Uh, many of us healthcare professionals believe strongly, well, I'm a marriage and family therapist with a public health and uh, psychology. And um, many of us believe strongly in Senate Bill 562 because when enacted, the Healthy California Act will guarantee that every resident of California will receive comprehensive health care services. Um, and covered benefits will include services to keep people healthy mentally and physically, um, as well as those services that diagnose and treat diseases. The Healthy California Act has been crafted to provide a single high standard of safe therapeutic care for all California residents 
in a manner that is financially sustainable. And as we know, prevention saves lives and money and is a whole lot cheaper than emergency treatment and chronic treatment. And as we all know, millions of people in the U.S. and thousands in California have no health care access except for the occasionally ex uh, extremely expensive emergency care, um, which when it is available is limited in scope and may not be applicable to a person's medical condition. And for some, even the heroic applications of emergency room medicine is too little and too late. And as many, as many people die from lack of preventive care, which could have been effective long before their attempts to use emergency care as a substitute. Um, so as a marriage and family therapist um, I, uh, who works on behalf of Medi-Cal patients, I am aware of the significant impact of a person's physical health status has on their mental health as well. I know of many people who are extremely worried, depressed, anxious, or feeling hopeless because they have no way to get the health care they or their other <coughs> members of their family need. I'm also aware of many of my clients might either benefit from less acute or even no mental health care at all if their medical problems could be prevented or managed successfully. It's another way of saving all of us, you know, money. Um, also, the cost of medicines to healthcare systems such as this is another reason to support the Healthy California Act, which will allow the lower setting of costs of medicines and equipment. So, and um, finally, the overall cost of healthcare could be decreased when more people are covered, when more people have real access to basic healthcare, and many, then many contagious diseases can be prevented or contained by the improved community medical treatment that will result. And lastly, as a single mother of a millennial daughter who has no idea, and I am a resident, I'm in the neighborhood actually, um, who has no idea where her health care will come from, I worry constantly about the seeming impossibility of her ability to get needed, medically necessary GI surgery that she's going to need in the future without resorting to indentured servitude or bankruptcy. <laughs> and I, I, I can imagine most of you can understand that concern. So um, for those, all of these reasons and more, I urge you to support and endorse the Healthy California Act. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. And that's all we have for public comment tonight. So I will go on to the agenda, and uh, the first item is the board president report. And I have no report other than to extend on behalf of this board uh, my profound gratitude for Deborah Barnes and the foundation committee for a lovely gala. Um, we're very much appreciative of the hard work that they've done and the money they've raised on behalf of uh, for our benefit, for the hospital's benefit and the programs that we serve. So we thank you very much. It was a lovely evening, and I'm so pleased that so many of us were able to attend. So thank you so much. So I am moving to the consent agenda. Board members, do I have a motion to? Uh, I'll move. Thank you. Second. Anything that needs to come off for further discussion? Okay. Any questions? Okay. I will ask for approval on the whole. Um, 
All those in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> um, a little delay there, but thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. We move on to the finance report and uh, committee reports. Anthony, they're written, and I want to thank you for your detailed report. Um, it's very, very well done, as usual. Uh, any any other comment you want to make? No, ma'am. Okay. Uh, uh, the QPSC report was postponed until the next meeting. Thank you. I'll make note. So be at the full the next board meeting. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We'll move to action item. Uh, the adoption of board resolution regarding the proposal for universal health care. And um, we had this discussion at our retreat, a very lively discussion, I will, I will say. And I know that a copy of this went out to the board earlier, and I don't know how many of you responded back, but I assume you did. Um, I did. I'm glad. I gave my input as well. So, well, I just needed the final copy of it. So oh, this is something different. Something passing something out different. <clears throat> okay, it is in the back. Okay. All right. Do I have a motion to approve? Second. Thank you. Any discussion? I just wish I had more visits from the tooth fairy when I was younger. But, uh, <laughs> that's my only comment. Okay. <laughs> Well, I do want to thank um, I do want to thank Terry for for massaging the language so that we in fact could meet have some kind of agreement here. So very pleased. I did hear something tonight from one of the speakers that I'm going to pursue on my own relative to uh, agencies that no longer would have to pay the health care costs. So I'm thinking about schools and teachers and how much money goes from the general fund into the healthcare costs. We'd love to find out whether or not that money goes back into public ed, which would be hooray. Okay. So, any comment? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I too want to thank Terry, and I, I know that I've uh, argued rather dramatically and um, or, or <laughs> loudly for this, and I really passionately right, for this. I think you, you, you redrafted this quite well. I really want to have my hats off to you. And as a public system that has the mission that we have in the community that we live in, I think it's completely apropos that we, as a hospital system, step forward and, and boldly endorse this measure. I'm so proud, again, and honored to be part of this board and part of the system that serves the community. And, and this is an example of of, of what we can do, and I think that as lively as our conversation was, we don't always all agree on everything, but I think we do agree on the basic premise here, and um, and, and I thank my colleagues for letting me keep us late at the retreat just to just to <laughs> argue over this for, for an extra time, and, and I'm, I'm excited to vote yes on this. And I'm actually, though my only disappointment is that um, uh, member uh, Thompson got to make the, the motion to, to approve it. <laughs> but let the record reflect that I seconded it. <laughs> Tracy can get it, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, universal health, the fact that we haven't had universal health care has been such a block. And while the nation is yet not ready to it, I hope that California can show that we will join the civilized world 
in doing the what's the right thing to do. So I am very, very glad that you know this kind of un, it's unjustified not having health care. So very glad to be part of this. Great. Any other comment? I would just say um, I appreciate your comment, Michelle, and I thought the same thing um, as the board president. And I wonder if you know, unfortunately, we're having a, a, a huge um, issue in the state with public pensions, but if and and post post employment health care benefits, and if this were to um, somehow tie in and and be a way that our um, leaders could reduce or impact that, but and it will. We'll have another unfunded liability. Increase access. Yeah. Well, I'm not a fifth no, lever, so we're going to have to really. Have but to we would like. To, I would like to learn more about that. I mean, there it may be an unfunded liability. It certainly is now. We know that for certain. But whether or not, um, if it's if it's if it's provided universally, and um, there's, you know, it, it may change the the uh, mandate on governments, on businesses, and, and on large organizations. Okay, well, uh, I will call for a vote. All those in favor of supporting the resolution, say aye. 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 Thank you. We have unanimous support. Okay, we'll go on to the CEO's report. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hope you all do well. Um, it's not a justice for me. Um, I, I passed around, and Gary, I emailed to you, apologies, the, the most recent dashboard. Um, I apologize I didn't catch this sooner, but uh, the one that's in the packet actually was the prior month. Um, so my apologies for doing that, but you can actually have them side by side to compare, uh, as I do when I'm when I'm looking at the narrative to share with you of, of how our performance is trending relative to the goal. So um, I'll go through the slides here, and just to remind you all, some of these are dated, but um, I kept them the same, actually, to underscore a point, so hopefully it won't be lost in you all. But um, when we met for our retreat, it was the day before the uh, uh, the 100-day milestone for, for the uh, new president. And uh, everyone knows that there's that's sort of a, a, a significant date of which you uh, stem back and assess uh, the, the current administration's performance relative to goals that were established in on that day. Um, the vote for the uh, sort of the second scheduled vote for the affordable the, the American Health Care Act, let's just say, uh, was once again being delayed. And so uh, we had actually said uh, in a prior uh, board report that we lived to fight another day. And I was too cute by half by saying this one that we lived to fight another 100 days because the following week that vote did actually go through. Uh, so, so less than 100 days, um, uh, a lot less. Uh, and <clears throat> and that uh, measure has passed the House. And the, the version that passed the House, thank you, sorry. It's a combination of that and my voice today, which I apologize for. Um, but that version that passed was, uh, in many respects, a lot more concerning than the original version. As it relates to Medicaid, however, um, uh, purely Medicaid, it was effectively the same. And unfortunately, because of the, the focus that was uh, uh, understandably so on the changes that were happening to things like um, provisions of protections for pre-existing conditions and the essential health benefits. Um, those were the things that were changing as well as the um, uh, funding for a um, high-risk pool, state high-risk pools. That became a greater focus than the fact that this plan still has a estimated 
uh, over 800, 840, 880 million dollar impact to Medicaid nationwide. Eight hundred and eighty sorry billion can be impact to Medicaid nationwide as as this plan moves to uh, uh, convert uh, Medicaid to from an entitlement to a block grant or a per per capita cap. Uh, so uh, obviously this is something we are very very concerned about, and as it heads to the Senate. Um, uh, all signs suggest that the Senate is now going to draft their own version of this, so they're not taking this one up to as a starting point. Um, but I don't know that we should take too much solace in that. Um, uh, there is effort afoot to try to figure out how to um, find common ground here, and I do think that that's going to result in some changes, but it's it's not entirely clear what the implications will be for any sort of joint consensus and the implications that could have on um, um, Medicaid, uh, first and foremost, but also all of healthcare uh, uh, financing. So, um, to the earlier point, uh, the conversations that are happening, not just at the federal level, but at the state level, to try to um, uh, advance some of our goals around providing um, a high quality, equitable access to care uh, that is affordable to everyone, irrespective of your ability to pay. Uh, we need to not just pay close attention to, but continue to. Uh, uh, insert our voice, our voices into that into that discussion. Uh, I and the team will continue to do that through the avenues in which we do it, and I think it's uh, reinforcing to have the board doing uh, what you're doing uh, to to lend your your station as uh, the the uh, governing entity of the organization to reinforce this, this approach as well. So that's all I'll say on that. Any questions about anything? Uh, I'm happy to answer uh, at the end here. Uh, I'm going to try to breeze through a couple of updates and. Uh, uh, as I said, I had an apology on the slide that's in here being dated. Um, we will post if we haven't already upload the current one, which you have at your at your station there. And uh, Trustee Charlie and I emailed it to you if you have access to your email, and you can take a look at it as I walk through it. Um, so that, that's my first apology uh, during this presentation. Apologies that there may be uh, one or two others uh, in terms of relative folks to present information that aren't here today who were prepared to do this at. Uh, the end of last month. So, just a quick sort of highlight of a few areas, and then we'll focus on uh, a few of them in a little bit more detail. Uh, but, but I want you to know that in the month of February, the uh, visit performance went up uh, by a couple thousand, uh, partly because there are uh, a few more days in uh, March than in February, but but also uh, just improved performance. So, so uh, that that in, it wasn't in itself the contributing factor, but it certainly uh, got us a much more. Um, uh, Acceptable performance relative to the budget, uh, which is also quite aggressive. So, uh, we are ahead of last year's performance with visits, but still, in fact, 10% uh, year-to-date, 10% below what our budgeted visits visits are in terms of traditional visits. And you'll see at the uh, bottom there that we had a growth in telephone visits as well. And as we mentioned, um, we are not anticipating that we will count all of these telephone visits. What we have done uh, since the last meeting, where I uh, uh, introduced this, is We've set up a, um, a script where we are actually looking at um, being able to uh, appropriately classify these calls as uh, supplemental calls to a patient care visit versus just a reminder phone call or something of that nature. If it is a, one where there's a um, progression of clinical intervention or uh, a follow-up that would otherwise happen in, a, in an amateur setting, then we're going to get a good uh, feel for what that relative percentage is, and those numbers will, uh, before the end of the fiscal year, then be converted into 
actual performance, so we won't count all of these. I, I'm sorry to be such a bobo, but would you read this and explain how, so I can understand to read it? How to, to follow read my it. line, yes, yes please. Gladly. Uh, so uh, let's get the top line, which is a variance in a percentage, and then I'll come back to that. So uh, in the first column, what you see is where it says actual visits this is in the month of March, so the actual visits of 30,000. 182 was the actual individual clinic visits that happened in the month of March. If you look below that, the 31,749 was the amount of visits that we budgeted actually doing in the in the month of March or in over the course of the month. So so you see it's short by about 1,500, 1,500, 1,600 visits there uh, for the month, and that's the 5% variance that you see at the top. Okay. Okay. Um, and now let's do that for year to date. So year to date, uh, we have uh, provided traditional visits 234,823 outpatient visits, ambulatory visits. Our budget is 260,000 visits. So that difference of about 25,000 for the year to date through March is a 10% variance. Okay. Uh, and then that bottom row are the telephone visits that I was just mentioning. So we provided almost 7,000 of those in the month of March, and year-to-date about uh, 49,500. Uh, but you said you had more in the month of March, and I was trying to co compare those numbers. Oh, so Where are those numbers? Uh, they're, they're in this. So if you look at the report from last month, that ended up in the packet. Um, so if you... Oh. Okay. <clears throat> there you go. So that one uh, shows you what it was for the month of February. So it's in February for uh, telephone visits, we provided 5,500. Uh, for total number of actual visits, if you go up two rows, you see 24,000. I see it. Thank you. Okay. Why is the trend line up when we're off by 10 percent? Uh, no, the trend line is down. The desired direction is up. What do you see? <laughs> <laughs> that to me is going up. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I was looking at that one. The trend line is up because the number of visits went from 24,000 to 30,000. So the down ones mean the desire is to do less? No, so it's, it's the... But it's still a budget by 3,000. No, but on the other columns, so, the uh, line... Of course, these are the trend okay. line. Yeah, the trend line is the actual numbers. Got so it. so it's not necessarily suggesting that we can budget. It's the trend line of the actual visit. Got it. Not, 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 not the budget. Correct. Okay. Yes. Cool. But, but what it's showing is the desired direction is more than So that's why the other one is up. Apologies for that. Can I ask you to clarify? Yeah, sure. Uh, you don't have a... Um, it, on the telephone visits, again, how are we, or are we quantifying those? And, we, and do, do does an increase in telephone visits equal a decrease in, in regular visits? And is, is that ultimately a good thing for the patient, you know, access and ease of access, or is that a bad thing? I, I, I don't know how, and we're not quantifying those as above or below target. <laughs> Uh, not yet. So let me, let me yet. repeat that because we talked about it a little bit last month. And that's no, I, I, I no, 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 no worries. Actually, I'm happy to do do it, and we should probably repeat it a couple of times. When we did the uh, budget, uh, a couple of things that we had as sort of underlying goals for access was not just increasing traditional visits, but um, alternative visits. So e consults, uh, telephonic visits, those sorts of things. Uh, visits that are not just provided or, or in the uh, in the only, but they could be pharmacists. Are in visits, those sorts of things. So, uh, a lot of those visits are captured within the actual visits. The telephonic visits are not. And what we were doing was um, we, we pulled a, a, a query of all the telephonic visits that we provided, uh, and this is the number, but we recognize it in that number because historically we didn't parse out which of those visits were actual 
furtherance of clinical care or clinical intervention versus I'm calling it a reminding you appointment or remember that you need to do this sort of thing, that, that we have now captured that number and we're trying to figure out what percentage on average is representative of actual visit um, uh, replacement. Because to your earlier question, there's not, the hope is that we increase access and that access can be done in multiple modalities. So I don't think we should necessarily anticipate that as non-traditional visits go up, that actual visits uh, or traditional visits will go down. On average, we'd expect that access will improve. And so whatever makes the most sense would actually. Uh, so based on that, so you're saying that of the 69.13 last month, Correct. If conceivably 2,000 of those were actual visits because they were a continuance of care, yes. then we would be over Correct. Our, our variance, you got not it. under. You got it. But you don't know. We don't know yet, and that's why we're just reflecting and the total number now. Will we know on these past numbers, or will we know only moving forward with future numbers because you implemented a new analysis? So we're taking it two ways. Uh, we're going to, the conservative way that we're going to do this is we put in a, um, a query now, or a, I forget what you call it, a script or a template, thank you, uh, where where when someone does a telephonic visit, yeah, exactly, <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's the guy I look to, uh, when they do a telephonic visit, they will now note this was just a reminder call, or this was a clinical follow-up or whatever, and when they do that for the next month or two, we're going to take those two months, uh, aggregate them and say, oh, well, it looks like a third of what we do uh, our actual clinical visits or um, uh, interventions versus just a run-of-the-mill call. So we'll know it exactly going forward, and then we're going to take that number because we've done it over the course of the year, and we don't want to sort of disincentivize that and apply that rate to this. And so that's a good adjustment. And, and what is the center then, the, var the variance? What is what is that? Level one, level two, level three. So those are that's the goal, those are the goals for the year. So the first part, I'll, I'll walk through that again. The first, if you look at the first column, fiscal year 16 baseline, that is the number of visits total that we provided all of fiscal year 16. Mm -hmm. So then we set goals for the year in each of our pillars. This pillar, we only set one goal, which is to increase access, and we set it at varying levels. So we said we'd increase it, uh, we wanted to increase it, I think it was a 10% increase, or actually, that's not like it would be 29,000 uh, on top of this. So, I forget what the number was, but the total uh, goal that we set was um, to hit 350,000 visits for the year. And so that would be the baseline. That's what we want to achieve for the year. And then we said we'll, we'll, we'll create two different levels for um, um, better performance over that goal versus setting three different access goals. We said if we did that, then we will achieve the goal. If we achieve 5% higher than or 0.5% higher, then that's, you know, um, sort of baseline target and outstanding performance when we do this from a performance evaluation perspective. So uh, the goal, uh, pure and simple, and this is the same thing we did in finance, so we can, I can walk you through that one too, but uh, for sustainability. But 350 is where we want to go by the, by the year, and then if we can do performance higher than that because we've gotten more efficient, we can uh, see a lot more patients, then we want to uh, recognize that at a different level than we would have when we're doing performance appraisals for if we just achieve that goal so, itself. So to put it in terms that you'll understand since you have a background in education, level three would be an A, level yeah. two would be a B, and level one would be a C. Um, I wouldn't really go that far. Three, so. <laughs> I would, I'd say that's the, right, that's the right staging, but I would say we didn't aim for a C because, because uh, the 350 is actually a significant improvement on it. So I'd say this is, it's tough to do in education, but I guess I'd say this is, this is uh, satisfactory 
which I wouldn't call a C. I'd still say in this case a pretty good performance. I'd say this is above average um, uh, to get to the middle one, and this is the outstanding one. And, and just as one opinion, yeah. I think this is hokey. But you know, I think this is tied to the. It helps with when you when you drive. So so I appreciate your perspective. Uh, uh, but it helps when you drive the performance from the uh, performance management perspective. So, so we want to achieve a goal that we think is reasonable and attainable, so it is a stretch. Uh, but we also want to recognize that if we can go higher than that, which, to be honest, at this point doesn't look like we will. So you keep your job if you do, if you do level one. You get a pat on the back if you get a level. I mean. I, no, no, no. Uh, um, level one is, is is performance. So when we do when we do incentive based uh, performances, uh, we go anywhere from zero to five percent. So if you perform, that's your performance uh, appraisal. If that performance appraisal across the board is acceptable, then it could trigger then some incentive, which could be between zero and three percent if it's okay, and then four or five percent if it's above average. And so the board has agreed on these percentage increases. Uh, no, incentive. you don't agree to the incentive. That's a management decision that happens. What you agree to is the, the target plan. Goal. So you have agreed to this plan. This is a plan that we presented to you back in June, July, yeah. whenever we did this. We hammered it and out. Yes, we hammered it out and agreed to then, but uh, this yeah. is what that okay. was. Yeah. All, right. so so, all I can say is it made sense at the a time. And Gets to go into the AP class. There you go. Oh, there you go. That's perfect. Okay, that's much more acceptable. Uh, thank you for that friendly amendment. Um, okay, so I'll keep going unless there are other questions about that. Okay, uh, I'm not going to go into that much detail on the others uh, in the interest of time. Uh, but if you have specific questions, I'm happy to address them. So, from a financial perspective, again, these are February numbers. Um, we now have March, which uh, David has presented to the Finance Committee. They are still on target, I think we dropped by a point tenth of a percent um, uh, a year to date for the month of March, and then uh, we're still at five percent, five point nine percent for year to date, and seven percent for the for the month of February. Um, we actually did we uh, pr we presented our um, quality report in um, I'm sorry, uh, we submitted our waiver uh, report on our mid-year report at the end of March, and this reflects the updates based off of that. So you see that there was actually a downward trend in the performance against the waiver. Uh, and later there's a discussion around what we identified as some opportunities there, which are much more structural in nature than they were performance, and uh, what, what we're trying to do to adjust that. And Dr. Swift will join me to actually talk a little bit about that um, as well. Um, See, uh, I'll just tell you under the harm reduction, we had a couple of events in the month of March. Um, there were about uh, six events uh, that were surgically related. Uh, Post-op DVT, I think there were two of them. Uh, and then there was uh, uh, three uh, lacerations that were still determining whether or not those were actually uh, uh, unintentional or you know, incidental to the surgery. And so we'll figure out what, what, what that does for our harm score our performance. But, uh, just a few events relative to the total volume of surgical interventions we provide that still uh, have an impact on our harm score uh, for this particular indicator. Uh, you'll see that uh, fortunately in most of the patient experience area, uh, the scores are actually trending well above our, our, our target, or actually year-to-date uh, close to but above our target, and that's been fairly consistent throughout the year. We have some a little bit more detail to share with you later about how that's going. Obviously in behavioral health, not as well. Uh, we continue to experience uh, a little bit of um, or gradual erosion in that performance, uh, at least as, as indicated by the scores. And we have a little bit of information to uh, talk about what Karen uh, has been 
uh, do it with the team there to address the realities of the survey process as well as the uh, feedback that we're getting there. Uh, Luis will talk a little bit about in a second. Uh, and then everything else uh, are, are largely on track. Um, our recruitment days have been performing well for the last couple of months, but uh, quite honestly, we're, we're, we're working very diligently to see if we can actually achieve the goal for the year. It's can quite aggressive the, at this particular point. The employed positions? Yes. If 16 baseline is 11 and 17 target is 22, does that mean that we're at, we've hired 18, employed 18 positions so far? No, so the baseline is 11. We had 11 employed positions at the beginning of the year. Our goal was to double that number and get 22. Uh, we hired three in the month of March, and that got us up to 21 year to date. Oh, okay. I was looking at the so March. Right? Yeah, sorry. You were looking at Oh, I see. Harder. So shouldn't that be... Yeah. So, but 22 is the year-to-date target, so no, should not that be green? 22? Uh, no, it's, it's a weird, it could be green, but it's, it's because it's such a small number, it actually makes it yellow because uh, percentage-wise, if you look at the legend at the bottom, it's about, it's probably about 3 or 4% versus 2%, so. And it's so small. it's, yeah, it's really, really small, but, but we uh, are fully, um, we believe we're going to easily hit that target. Yeah, exactly. But we're performing well on it. What categories of positions do they take? What departments are they in? Um, I'm looking to decide. Uh, in, in, in HP this year, so we've hired. Uh, yeah, that will probably be our 22nd, and then we have a uh, a few others in the pipe uh, that we hope to achieve by the end. Okay, so um, then I'll, I'll I'll just proceed here. Uh, that was sort of that was my quick overview. Uh, my my emphasis on the quick part. Uh, so this is the the little bit more detail. So this is a prime update. So uh, Dr. Swift, if you want to uh, join join me at the table here, um, as as uh, was in the report, uh, we've submitted our our D12. Which is the second year of this waiver, uh, mid-year report. It was due by March 31st. Uh, that was a deadline. The state has responded, accepting our report, and the interim payments are in progress. Actually, not they were in progress as the end of uh, last month. They knew actually even being routed, we've gotten them already. Uh, but anyway, the payments are on the way. Uh, following the path of, of many of our other prime participants, which are the other DPHs around the state, uh, we're looking. Uh, we're working with the state to update and revise our plan as acceptable. So what we're saying is that after the first year, a lot of people looked at what their plan was, and uh, over time, we've learned a lot about the different metrics and what are sort of the under, what's the what are the things that underlie the opportunity. So what is in, included in the baseline? What are the sort of uh, data capabilities in terms of tracking, reporting, all those sorts of things you need to do? And some of those structural challenges in and of themselves actually uh, present a challenge in actually uh, reflecting the type of improvement that's necessary to demonstrate compliance with the program and then effectively to draw down the dollars. We obviously, it's a huge financial uh, uh, in, implication for us, but we try to focus less or equally um, um, on the finances, but more so on the, uh, the quality improvement because that is the, the purpose of the program. And so uh, because of that, what we recognize is that um, uh, there were, so we had 10 prime projects and that has been the goal. So we've been reporting on how we're performing against 10 projects. Um, uh, but we, we didn't, the requirement for the fine program was nine projects. We, in our infinite wisdom at the time, elected to do 10 to spread our risk. 
and uh, the 10, uh, so there's six required and three mandatory optional, so we did four optional ones. Uh, we've recognized since that having the four optional ones and two in particular were a little bit problematic for us for, for some of the reasons outlined here that I'll ask Dr. Swift to speak to. Uh, so we have since uh, requested to the state that we take that 10 projects back down, or I shouldn't say back down, but down to nine. Uh, and in so doing, we focus on two projects where we eliminated those two and replaced those two with one uh, that we're all also doing that we uh, um, know is important for the system that we'll be able to uh, achieve. And so uh, if Dr. Swift, you could talk a little bit about the, the two that we took off and the one that we added on, that'd be helpful. Uh, do you want her to explain it, or you want you want a question before she does that? Uh, explain the, the reduction in project. Mm -hmm. And which one? Sure, but but yeah, exactly. Because I'm looking at the um, updates, and they, and I, I'd also like to know why there was there were nine projects that were proceeding in February, and now there's, um, there's still four that are proceeding in six or at risk. I understand. Oh, you mean yeah, in terms of four performance? And, four and five, but. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the performance of the current budget. Sure, so. sure. We can talk about that. Okay. Um, so, uh, so as you can see up there, we are going to replace one of our projects. Um, we are replacing the project 1.4 patient safety in the ambulatory setting. And um, before I explain these projects, I just want to review a basic premise, which everybody may already know about the targets in prime. There are about 57 targets, clinical targets in prime. And if you look at the way the grant has been set up, many of these targets are targets that we are already responsible for being held accountable for by another entity. For example, reducing readmissions is a target. That is also in prime. That is also something we are having to do for Medicare and other, other entities are holding us responsible for that. Um, these are essentially 57 quality metrics. Um, many of them are based in ambulatory. In ambulatory, as you know, they're called the EDIS measures, and the inpatient service are called the core measures. Um, so we find ourselves in this situation, many of these measures, we are sort of um, being held accountable to multiple outside stakeholders, each asking us to measure it maybe in slightly different ways, and other times in the exact same way. Um, but they're all quality measures. So when you look at this um, metric, the category 1.4 patient safety and ambulatory setting, those are a specific set of metrics that are looking at laboratory testing for a couple of medications. So um, here, like in, in the world of cardiology, we give um, medications for hypertension, um, for fluid overload, um, diuretics, and we are supposed to be monitoring potassium. Um, this is what the, it's these types of laboratory testing that this metric is asking us to, to measure. We're also doing that for some other grants that we're part of. However, we've decided to replace this one um, because back last year when we decided to pursue it, we thought we would have next-gen up in the specialty clinic. So these particular medications are not only prescribed in primary care, they're prescribed in our cardiology clinic right upstairs, in renal clinic, and half of our clinic, those clinics are in paper. Our primary care our clinics are on next-gen. And so we have not been able to develop um, the systems to obtain uh, the types of laboratory testing that we need for the entire population. Um, and so that is why we have decided to, we will continue to work on that. We are also looking at this, these metrics because of our um, relationship with the Alliance. They're asking us to look at this in primary care. 
Um, so it's not that as an organization we're going to stop looking at these um, safety measures. We're just not using crime as the driver for how we look at them. Um, so we're replacing this with the 1.5 project, which is the Million Hearts Initiative, focusing on cardiovascular care. Um, the second project um, on the surface also could seem a little anxiety provoking by its name. We are removing the project 1.6 cancer screening and follow-up. This project has metrics for breast cancer screening, colon cancer screening, um, pap smears. Um, that type of screening remains um, an essential priority for us for all primary care. However, um, this metric being held to deliver on that in the way that Prime is asking us to is problematic. Because this metric asks us to include our entire um, Medi-Cal population that is assigned to us. Those are two populations in that. So we have people that are assigned that we have the capacity to see and that we are seeing. We have another population of uh, the Alliance patients that are assigned and we have not yet been able to get them into our clinic. And so when you look at these metrics, um, we are actually increasing our the number of women that are coming in for pap smear for breast cancer. We're increasing our fit testing, but the number will never be reflected in the way that Prime wants us to because it's going to be diluted by the people that have been assigned but yet not seen. So, so are you keeping those records even though it's not in Prime? Yes, because we are also required to do this as a matter of just primary care. It's a basic kind of primary care. We have set internal goals that we will continue to achieve. We are also being held accountable to this uh, with our relationship with the Alliance, so we're tracking that and there are performance metrics for those. And so these types of cancer screenings are an example. It's so basic that multiple um, partners are asking us to be accountable. Uh, we're just not using the pace of crime. Um, for these particular metrics, but we will continue to prioritize these. Um, under Paula's, uh, Dr. Bavaria's leadership, in fact, in February, she sat everyone down and she said we need to perform uh, much better. And so at, um, I think all four, but at least three in the month of February, they looked at our existing capacity and it rapidly increased the number of women coming through for their pap smears. And so we continue to try to innovate, continue to try to bring women in. We will just not be using Prime as a driver or as a target. Well, I just want to say that we are really targeted on increasing our capacity for pap smear and calling in patients, and they have been working on PI projects throughout our HPHCs to really bring the patients uh, to do pap smear. <coughs> um, uh, we are going to present in the quality uh, meeting here next uh, this month. Actually, we will present the ambulatory care. So we will have uh, Palav will be here, and the team from Ambulatory Care will be here to answer all questions. And then one last thing I wanted to add: um, there is this population, the patients that are assigned to us, that we have not yet seen in our clinics. So we will be working with the Alliance and perhaps using Conifer to look at those claims data to see what that population looks like, who in that population needs these screening tests to create interventions to try to bring them in and to try to figure out how to accommodate their care needs. But we're just not using Prime as the framework by which we're going to hold ourselves accountable to that. Yes. The, please. Go ahead. So the main parts initiated Oh, sorry. Um, does the, the cardiovascular, now that, isn't that, that clinic uses NextGen or no? no? No. So how do you, like, achieve the kind of rapid, accelerated success of Prime when 
you know, you're not. So this metric is targeted at primary care. And so in primary care, we are all in next gen. We can look at our blood pressure screening and other cardiovascular metrics because um, it's sort of a, a Rubik's cube. Every metric has a, um, a different specification. This metric is focused. The envelope is ambulatory care, adult okay. medicine. And so we're not at risk. We don't have to include the specialty clinics. Uh, I was going to ask the question that, uh, and, and I'm very sympathetic to all the agencies in which you have to report to, and they want it in you know a different way with different formats. So that that can be very frustrating. Um, and most of those, the board will see the results of those formal kinds of requests. My, my question is, are there areas in which uh, I would say local interest? Not necessarily required on those larger those larger formats agencies who who want that we ought to be looking at in terms of the health of the community that is not being asked by these organizations and I'm thinking something more more local that that will will show us in our own communities whether or not we are responding in an appropriate way. Can you think of anything either of you to I think that when you, yeah, the food screening. So I think the, the these targets, um, these entities are asked. So there's a set of, I think, I don't know exactly if it's 80 or 70, but there's a set of EDIS measures that are uh, championed by NCPA. So those are standard quality metrics for ambulatory. There are a set of uh, quality metrics for inpatient service and behavioral health and uh, post-acute. All of these entities are asking us to hold ourselves accountable to those metrics which are based in evidence-based care. There, I would say that we need to start and make sure that we are guaranteeing delivering on those because they're all evidence-based. There may be issues local to our population that we can start to look at, and that is where we can look at the social determinants of health, the underpinnings that are going to cause our population, you know, affect their success. That, that's really what I was getting at, and finding out whether or not we, you, you as an organization, doctors, have talked about what those things might be for our community, and whether or not the data that you are collecting is, is, and I'll speak for Maria on this issue, is related to race and culture and and background, and so, so that we can in fact find out in our community who perhaps we need to invest more time with. Um, so the thing I'm super excited about in Prime is that we are required to take seven HEDIS measures, stratify them by race, ethnicity, language, eventually by sexual orientation and gender identity, identify a disparity, and have a plan to reduce it. So that is very much part of that, and as part of our um, population health operational plan, we're trying to set up the structure and quality so that we do that as a matter of routine. Um, and so that is one way by which we can look at our local catchment area and see within these HEDIS measures what are, you know, which populations are doing well and where there is an opportunity. Also, I think with um, one social determinant of health, um, food insecurity, there's an opportunity to start screening. Um, we're, we're exploring um, what it would take to start screening routinely in ambulatory care to say, to have one or two questions about hunger, food insecurity, to see, you know, there are some certain questions that you can ask and then have that link to our health advocates or other um, staff members that can help patients enroll in federal and state programs. Thank you. 
So, so I, excuse me. <clears throat> I hope what you hear it is not. Sorry, my crazy voice is one. But um, that um, <clears throat> we are we are pushing forward with a lot of these efforts, uh, and some of them just as as Dr. Swift said, uh, in terms of kind of aligning with uh, where we are as a system to address status with you know, a, a system wide electronic health record or our push towards population health, where we have much more of a a, a uh, deeper lens into the status of all of the lives assigned to us, uh, is that very insidious such that it would actually be disadvantageous for us to move forward in some of these ways until we catch up there. So so it's a, a matter of sort of aligning where we are and what we're working on with the various incentive programs that we do have, uh, but also keeping this focus on, even if it isn't something that we're using for these PPP, and we know that it's important work that we're doing and that we're continuing that work, we just don't want to be penalized or the other parts for which we have a little less control or just have a little bit more work to do to be able to provide uh, the right types of data to, to drive that performance. Thanks. So, did you, was, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the factors, what did you call it, HEDA? HEDIS. HEDIS, yeah. Did that include income? So the HEDIS measures are quality, uh, they're clinical outcomes. Um, oh, you mean the, no, the, no, the no, demographic it's, data? Uh, race, ethnicity, and language, and it's sexual orientation and gender identity. But not income. Not income. Income is not one of the and not zip codes for which. But we, uh, we can um, stratify by that further. But we that do. Ha we have. Um, we have that in our sort of overall strategy. Once we get to the point where we can start stratifying, we will be including zip codes. And zip code education is levels. Zip code is data that we have. Um, income and education level. I don't know if that's data that we. we it's interesting with social determinants of health. Yeah. I think if you'd include that, we all know that what your zip code determines your life expectancy yeah. and your income largely determines your zip code. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad we track it, but I'm shocked they don't. Um, and then my other question was around those patients that you said that they've been assigned to us, but they haven't been in, they haven't come to us yet. I mean, I just wonder if, is there an opportunity there that, um, I mean, for them to come to is us? It, is it, are they not coming because they haven't need to see a, so that's, the waiting time? It's, right? it's a couple of things. Uh, that is one. Uh, them not coming is, is when we say they're not coming, it's not necessarily. Do your voice a favor, Dr. Swift. Why don't you explain it to me? Okay, sure. <laughs> right. Thank you. Um, I, I like Delvecchio was starting to say, I think it's multifactorial. One may be just capacity. Um, some, we're not always. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're not always aware in real time who is actually assigned to us, so there's a little bit of a lag. Right. Um, three, we don't know what their clinical profile is, and so it's hard to know with that population the urgency with which we need to bring them in. Are they a young person that don't doesn't actually need a lot of intervention, or are they something, somebody with complex care needs? Right. Need a lot of Because yeah, when you say not assigned to us, so they were, we were, They've been assigned as, to us as the provider, but they're not necessarily needing to see a doctor yet, right? Or at least they don't know that they need to see a doctor. They're well right. enough that they don't. So right. Yeah. So that could be true of um, any system sure. as well, right? It is, I mean, I, it is true. It is. Yeah, but, but I, um, yeah, so it just seems an unfair uh, uh, way to rate our system as far as access is concerned, um, especially considering population that we serve, many are harder to reach because of their other factors. So it's, um, it's, I wonder what opportunities might be there for us to proactively engage them, but that's a whole other conversation. So, so, so no, no, it's, it's, a, it's the next level. It is what we want to do. So in terms of population health, as we move towards 
application, one of the expectations is that someone becomes enrolled in uh, managed care, in this case Medi-Cal, that they will have an initial health assessment. That health assessment will then tell you whether pre existing conditions or other sorts of uh, risks that they have that might drive them how you design a care program for them. Do you need to put them in a medical home or is that too expensive for you? Do you, you know, you know, they are well enough that you just need to make sure that you say, I'm going to reach out to you every six months, but if I don't, if you don't hear from me or something happens sooner, please call us, right? So, so you're not using that capacity for someone who's chronic and needs to be engaged a lot more. So you, you don't design a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. So that's what we're working on now. How do you measure transient, I'm sorry, for the unit of the patients? Yeah, so so you have a group that has been assigned to you mm -hmm. and you have been working with them and they, or not, mm -hmm. but they've left. Yeah. You know, so they're not in our community, they're not in our county any longer or. It's a really big so, challenge, even if they are in the county, because the way that Medi Cal works uh, now with ACA is someone could change their plan and or provider every 30 days. So, so that's wow. part of the challenge, you know, that, that that's part of the, the uh, freedom um, that has been provided to the population. And so every month we have this lag and sort of report that comes to us. Wow. So here are all the lives you have. And for us, for just one plan, the largest, uh, the Alliance, it's about 45,000. I keep getting the same wrong, but I think it's about 45,000 lives. And so in any, in any given month, that number could go north or south by one or two hundred or several hundred and it could be composite different individuals. So so you're constantly recalibrating based off of that. But it's not you know, it's not that much variation uh, month over month, but there is some uh, in terms of new enrollees, people who fall off or people who actively like to change their provider. Mm -hmm. I, I worry about those who fall off so to speak. I recall back in the late nineties, early two thousands that healthy healthy families if you once you were enrolled, it was if you didn't see a primary care physician within six months, you were bumped off the program, and then you couldn't re-enroll for something like nine months. It was, it was a horrible, wow. yeah, it was it was a horrible glitch in the system. I assume it got fixed, but I, sounds, I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, I, well, I, I would imagine it got fixed. Well, for Medi-Cal, that's you're 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 in for that year until your redetermination comes comes up, at least under the current. Thanks for indulging my questions. Okay, and then so I just want to point out the last point, and I said this uh, a little bit in our last meeting. So, uh, actually, the next to the last is if approved, it's been approved now. And so again, this is not something that's exclusive to us. Other um, uh, pro providers like us are uh, participating in Prime are realizing some of the structural challenges they have and working with the state to say we need to look at this differently to the extent that they approve that. So we applied to the state to make these adjustments that we just described for you, and the state has accepted them. Uh, so since this meeting where it was just uh, applied and we were waiting there since said we accept that you can do that and it's for the entirety of this year and then in the out years. Uh, so that's done uh, and then because of that now we're down to nine projects and just from the goals perspective so I'm not gaming the system. We set ten goals for the year. Uh, we will not achieve ten because now we're taking it down to nine and so so the best we can do is be uh, uh, performing on, on nine of the goals. Now what we will do, and this gets a little bit to uh, Trustee Jensen's uh, question earlier, is uh, the 10 projects have, as, as Dr. Swift mentioned, 57 different um, metrics that we measure. Many of those metrics crossed a couple of different projects. And so um, what we've struggled with over the course of the year is as those, uh, as those individual metrics within a project either um, look like they're showing some signs of risk um, uh, versus others, then we try to roll that up and say, well, then what does the total project look like? 
uh, going forward, our discussion has been that we'll probably it'll look a little bit weirder, but it'll be easier to report sort of on a, on a uh, much more sort of factual basis how the different metrics are going. We won't do it by project. We'll do it by the individual uh, metrics that are in there. So you'll know we're working on nine projects, but you'll know there are about 57 metrics that cross those nine. How we're performing on all 57 of them. So so it won't be this sort of um, um, a little bit of an arbitrary process we do when we roll them all up for each individual process and we'll, if the balance of them look like they are on target and they're green, if they don't, then it's yellow or, or whatever. We're probably going to remove the yellow for this and we're either performing or we're not performing uh, uh, is, is the way it, it will look going forward. And so that's what happened with the report. There's also, as I mentioned before, a, a great deal of work being done now um, um, with uh, Dr. Uh, Barbaria and one of the women Dr. Gupta, thank you. Uh, it's been a great addition to the team to actually do some retrospective look at the way that we built the queries to pull this data, uh, to look at whether we uh, uh, map those correctly because different data maps differently in different clinics. So we're trying to clean all that up and make sure that what we're reporting as baseline, as current state, uh, is actually uh, accurate and that we're capturing it. And in the course of doing that, which is also a lot of um, not just us sort of struggling with that. We figured out that some of these things um, were either better than what we thought they were initially or not as good. Unfortunately, the balance of them have actually been better. So what you saw in the month of March was a, a, and here is a much more sort of a, a conservative look. We didn't want to overly report that we were doing really good until we actually had greater clarity on some of these where there were still questions. And, and uh, we have a meeting coming up. We meet uh, monthly. I think we meet monthly now. Uh, um, we're in our last meeting, we figured out that as they've been proceeding, a lot of these are looking a lot better than we thought they were. And now they're done with a lot more clarity in terms of what's actually feeding into them and a lot more confidence. So so I anticipate that the next report you'll see that the, the progress has, or the performance has gone up. Uh, and, and a good deal of that is not just the work that's actually actively being done, but clarity around what's what's actually happening uh, based off of the numbers that we're covering. Is that? Oh, um, yeah, it's pretty much a straight line, I believe. So, so yeah, so so the 10 projects, um, I forget the actual numbers, but you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars total for each one of them. And so the fact that we've taken one off, basically they just take the bulk of that and then spread it across the, the other 10 projects. So there's no impact on the dollars that we can achieve here, or the total dollars available. It's just that now they're spread differently amongst the remaining projects. Thank you for pointing that out. Okay. All right, so I think that's good. And then patient experience will go a lot quicker because of people who are supposed to be presenting are not here. Uh, but I'll let Luis present for Karen and then I'll do Karen's report. All right, thanks, Sylvia. So uh, I will present. Uh, this was put together by Karen Tribble. She's been working and leading this effort. However, I've certainly been involved and engaged with the process. Uh, the intent here is to uh, share with you um, our current state, which you've seen in the in the in the uh, dashboards that have been presented, some of the actions that we've taken towards achieving our goals, our progress to date, based on those actions that we've taken, uh, redefining again, looking at the target goal and what is our ability to meet that target for this fiscal year. Uh, again, this is just taken directly off of the dashboard uh, from, from the previous month. This was uh, back in January. Our results for the month were 80.90 with a target of 87.10. Um, so again, we're, we're certainly below below our target, uh, and year-to-date results are 80.8. .8, so uh, we're certainly not not too close from from meeting that uh, established target for FY17. So uh, 
So what what have we done? And, and there were some there were many contributing factors to this uh, as far as the, the survey process. Um, out at John George, we provide uh, the survey, uh, which is it, it's handled relatively different than what we do with the inpatient survey. Uh, just very quickly in summary, in the inpatient setting, the survey is mailed or uh, a phone call is made, depending on the format that we're using. Uh, to reach a, a population of, of patients that have been discharged from the facility that meet a particular criteria, they have to be greater than 18 years old, and uh, so on and so forth. So, uh, at John George, we actually hand the survey to the patients upon discharge. So, either prior to discharge or upon discharge, we hand them a survey. They are asked to fill out the survey, and then they take that survey and place it in a locked box in in the unit, which is then collected by Prescani and taken and tabulated that way, so to maintain the integrity of the process. So it's slightly different than what we see in the inpatient or even in the CG caps for the ambulatory setting. So, uh, you know, there, there's many variables that we're seeing uh, in, in the past. Uh, the staff was very involved in, in working and helping the patients. Many times the patients, you know, just their ability to understand and comprehend the content of the survey is a challenge. So we wanted to look at, hey, what can we do and how can we help facilitate this process, but again, maintaining the integrity of the process. So, you know, there was some confusion on what can and cannot be done. You know, CMS is very, very specific about how these surveys need to be managed and how they are handled by the patients and by the providers that are uh, involved in the care of the patients. So what I did was we, we had a, a, a lengthy discussion with Press Gaming to make sure that, hey, you know, let's, let's clarify, let's understand the do's and don'ts, and let's summarize that. So I went ahead and I, I summarized that discussion with Press Gaming. I met with all of the leaders at John George and really had a, a, an educational session to say, okay, guys, let's make sure that we're all clear and that we're operating on the same premise and this is the direction that we need to follow. I put that on the memo and I sent it to all of the staff to make sure that everyone was aware and they knew exactly what they can and cannot do in support of the patients to filling out these surveys. Uh, then we also had our director. So, Luis, I'm yes. sorry, are you suggesting then that in, 19, in uh, 2016 that the results are not, uh, are not legitimate? I'm not understanding your position. What, what I am saying is that we feel that the, the scores in 2016 uh, Maybe uh, were impacted. Aided. Were aided. Were aided by the support that was being provided by the staff in filling out the surveys. Okay. So when the patients were filling out the surveys, they had questions. They would approach a staff member. The staff member would kind of kind of guide them and help them through the process. And they, you know, they would go ahead and complete the surveys and turn them in. Uh, so that's obviously reflected in the scores. What happened then was, you know, Press Gainey said, whoa, whoa, time out. You know, that's, that's, we've got to be careful with that because although you can assist them with demographic information and you can assist them with certain components of the survey, the specific questions about the quality of care or the that you provided, you've got to be, you got to take a step back. So what the staff did at that point was they, they took and swung the pendulum completely to the other side and took full step back and said, nope, here's the survey. Have a nice day. And so patients were, again, some patients were confused, so we were getting a lot of surveys. When we get these surveys back from Prescaining, the surveys were saying, you know, excellent service, the staff was wonderful, you know, I, I, you know, thank you for the care, but everything was a one. 
and because in their mind they thought John George was number, number one. one, but then it was impacting the scores. So when the staff swung the pendulum and stepped completely back, we started seeing a lot of that, which is what then prompted me having the conversation with Chris Ganey and saying, guys, you gotta, you gotta understand the population that we're dealing with. Many times the patients, although they're ready to go home or to a different level of care, they still need some sort of support, you know, to be able to manage this process. So that's what's, you know, that's what kind of, you know, prompted this discussion and the clarification, the education with the staff, and hence the reason why we saw the scores kind of take that steep. Uh, trend down. So we wanted to, again, be uh, responsive to manage the process. We uh, clarified the, the expectations, what they can and cannot do, and how they can assist the patients. And part of that process, just to clarify a little further, one of the things that can be done, we have ombudsmen, we have um, uh, patients' rights advocates, we have volunteers at John George that aren't directly you know, involved in the care of the patient that can sit with a patient to help okay, let me explain this to you, and this is what this means, or the, the five is actually good, the one is actually bad, so that way they know and can guide them through the process. They can do that. So we've clarified all that, and we've engaged those different entities to help with that process to ensure that the patients are able to fill out the survey and we can get meaningful data out of that. Uh, the DO, the director of nursing, uh, took this information that was sent out and met with all the directors and managers to kind of help, again, further communicate and cascade this information down all the way to the frontline staff. Uh, we reinstituted the discharge standard process. So again, we're looking at not only giving it to the patients on discharge, but sometimes we're giving it to them the night before. So, you know, because again, that way the next morning with the rush of everything that's going on, they're just many times just, they're ready to go. And so we're wanting to, again, to increase the, uh, the responsiveness and, and the number of, uh, of, of surveys received. So they're doing it the night before. Uh, we highlighted nursing customer service and friendliness. I mean, again, just the fundamentals of making sure that, hey, guys, we've got to be engaged with the patients. And then we did a lot of rounding. Uh, that was the key, to make sure that the, the nursing and the director of nursing was involved and, and actively working with the staff. So again, so what, I'm sorry, yes, what, what was the rationale or the thinking to have a lower target than you did in 16? Because of the, because of the assistance by no, no, um, uh, when, the overcrowding? Uh, so, what? No, no, no. What we, uh, every year when we set the patient experience uh, targets, uh, we do it in consultation with Prescani, and they uh, give us a sense of what is sort of a expected, uh, based off of aggregate what happens in the industry, what is expected performance based off of where you currently are and the movement that you can reasonably make. Because the higher you get, the tougher it is to get to, to a even higher performance, so you should expect like you know, uh, decreasing sort of percentage increases on your performance. Uh, what they saw in the prior year in areas, particularly in behavioral health, where uh, similar organizations were performing as high as John George had been performing, was actually a, a drop in the scores. That, that on balance, those those actual scores were coming down uh, by sight, and so so there was an expectation that we would have a slight drop. Uh, based off of just where we were, and not, nothing to do with what what was actually happening in the facility, uh, but just based off of their trends and what they had seen in other places this is what they recommended to us. Um, we were hoping that that didn't actually come to pass, but we took their recommendation, and as you can see, it actually went a lot lower. So it may be a combination of we we certainly believe that the the change that Luis is describing is is probably the larger impact on um, on what is occurring with the score, but 
when in fact they're, invite, they're professional invites to us, but to expect that we would have. Um, um, in prior years, it was flat. It was, uh, it would, it would, you know, only move up by like 0.1% or something like that. And then this time they said you should actually expect a small drop. Uh, and it wasn't anything specific to us. So, and again, to build on that, I mean, again, the, the, the press gaining survey, uh, what, you know, when we're, what we report and what we look at is the mean score of 80.9 or 80.8 or whatever it is. It's, it's very interesting. I mean, the press gaining, and it's, it's very challenging because, you know, you, you, that mean score correlates to a percentile ranking of how you are against all your peers across the nation and your compare group, right? So this month, uh, I could be at 80.9 and my percentile ranking is 90. Next month, I could be 78.9, and my percentile ranking could essentially be 94. So, so it's, it's it's very complex. So this is based on that build so so How do you how do you determine your progress against yourself? Against yourself. I mean, I, I don't understand how you how you determine your. I understand about the national thing going up and down. I get that. But how do you know where you are against yourself year each year? If the if the if the bar moves up and down, how do you know where you are? You're still being you're looking at your performance relative to the rest of the industry still, and so you're always saying where where where. So are, if the industry is lousy, you you look good. If if you look you're less not. lousy, you yeah. could look good. But if the industry is lousy because the trend suggests that. You know, these are these are these experiences are not like necessarily exclusive to any one organization. It could just be sort of a wave of perception about healthcare or about doctors, about things like that. You could actually end up experiencing the same sorts of things, but there is some local variation. And so, yeah, if the industry goes way down and you only go slightly down, you could actually end up looking pretty good. If you stay flat and everybody else improves more, you you could actually go down because your rate of improve, improvement relative to everyone else is not the same. So, so that's what you're looking at overall. It's not it's not a pure sort of how you are doing in an isolated fashion, although you do have that information. When you look at it kind of on the mean basis, it's across everybody who participates in it. And that's what drives that baseline, and that's the reason why the baseline is driven off of the research and the data, the historical data that Prescott is looking at. So again, they're seeing this industry or they're seeing the national trend, and that's why they're providing us that guidance to say this is what your target is, this is what you need to continue to focus on and work towards that. You get like you get from press gaming, you get more granular data, right? Like oh, yes. your own service, you get. I mean, this is for the public view. You get a composite, but the organization gets much more granular. Which metrics are the ones where we did badly this time compared to last time? So That's you right. can compare against yourself. Yeah, right? this yeah. is this is all about one particular score, which is how to rate the um, um, hospital, or rate the provider, or the the mean for yeah. health. But the, the survey asks questions about quality of the food, right. quality of the facilities, uh, timeliness of the care that's right. provided. This or is the, the overall energy. rating. This is the overall rating. So, so, so there, are, uh, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of arguments in the industry about you know, relative value of this type of thing. But suffice it to say, these are publicly reported things. And so there's a whole cottage industry that has grown around how you actually Deal with this measurement so, science. So we should put stock in, buy stock in Press Gain. That's what he says. Yeah. No really. Well, there, yes, and, and now they've got it to where it's part of the CMS. It's like part, part of the CMS. It's part of the consumer based uh, reporting. So, again, conflict you know, of interest. That's just really. 
So, so again, just to share this with you, so those were the interventions that were taken, the impact of that. We saw that, uh, again, the staff obviously was able to now think up more comfortable in the correct process of how they were administering the survey. Uh, we saw a slight decrease, but as we continue to, you know, engage the external stakeholders and the staff is now involved, more involved with the patients, uh, we're, we're starting to see the trend change and start moving to, uh, up towards where we're looking at our goal. Uh, and again, we're discussing these continuously. This is a topic of discussion in every single meeting and every every conversation within the within the, the hospital within the unit. Uh, also, nursing has been very involved, very engaged in the process. They're they're dedicating time uh, where they're putting away their their charting stations and they're really spending and focusing and building that relationship with the patients and engaging in those conversations to make sure that you know that's what the patients remember is mm -hmm. it's that that caregiver and so they've been very instrumental in that process. Uh, they're then they come back and document they chart that interaction and what they're doing with that and the managers do these checks to ensure that it is happening and we're seeing some great improvements in that. Uh, we're also again we've assigned project leads so now there's at every unit people are uh, there's a champion that's kind of leading and guiding these efforts uh, and overall our director of, uh, of PES, uh, Brett Tatum, is, is leading the overall charge across and working with his peers to, to uh, support this effort. Uh, so again, because everything starts with the initial interaction and where does it start? It usually starts in the PES. So we want to make sure that we, we begin that interaction and that discussion from the very beginning moving through. So we're, we're continuing to see is Fred a nurse? What is Fred's? Fred is a nurse. He is the nurse manager for the PES. And so he partners with all of the other nurse managers for the inpatient units, and they collaborate across the continuum there. Um, so we're, we're again, uh, just reemphasizing the target, which was 87.1, our current performance 80.9. That was, again, as of uh, uh, January, uh, year to date, 80.8. What does that mean? Well, mathematically, really, it means that we're, it's really unlikely that we're going to meet our target this fiscal year. We're already in May and, you know, the scores. And, and to really move these scores up 1%, you know, from 80, you know, from 80 to 81 is, is, is a major undertaking. So, um, you know, it's unlikely that we're going to meet the target. However, we do feel uh, confident and comfortable that we, with the interventions that we put into place, the work and the effort that's going into this, the, uh, the attention uh, and engagement for some of our other, uh, you know, partners, you know, that, that support that the activity at John George with, and again, our patients, right, advocates, our ombudsman, all those individuals and volunteers, it's really having a positive impact on the whole process. So we're going to continue to monitor this. We're going to continue to drive improvements. And again, our goal is still to exceed the target, um, but we're probably not going to make that happen within this fiscal year as we've had uh, planned or or, or okay. Thank can you. I, can I, can I ask you, just, I mean, um, I find it interesting that uh, the, the first uh, foot forward, you're explaining that we, we, the way we were conducting the survey, the oversight that we were providing changed, and, and we, we took a step back and that, that you're equating this drop to that. But you also obviously are equating it to some other factors, like, I mean, you wouldn't be putting away the workstation on wheels if you didn't think that was having an impact. Um, and I also, um, so uh, I just, I, I wonder what else is impacting. Like I know we've had a ma major leadership change in our in that in that in behavioral health. I mean, uh, in, we lost two two you know big big name people, 
And we also brought in a lot of new psychiatrists because of our crisis in PES last year as far as staffing. I just wonder uh, if those also impacted patient experience, uh, both the leadership change and the, the change in psychiatrists. And I don't know how you quantify that, but obviously something in the data had you really focus in on, on nursing. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I, I wonder, is there more to the data that, that caused you to pick Nursing is, is the focus, is the emphasis? Um, uh, I, 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 will, I will say, yeah, what, what I will say, I mean, those are very good points. And, and I think that all those are variables and factors that really have supported this activity. I mean, I think the change in leadership out there with Dr. Tribble now uh, as our CAO of Behavioral Health, you know, Dr. Saldana as our interim chair of psychiatry, they're very involved, very engaged in the in delivery of care. Um, what I would say is, I mean, truly, our nurses are the ones that are, are, are dealing with the patients on, on a regular basis. I mean, the, the patient, you know, remembers, usually remembers two people. And that's probably, you know, more than likely the nurse or the physician that they're interacting with most of the time. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, we capitalize on, on those, those you know, valuable moments where, you know, those are the key stakeholders that are engaging the patient, that are talking to the patient, that are guiding the patient through the entire, through their entire stay. And that's what we wanted to ensure that, hey, let's, let's, let's work on that, let's focus on that, let's kind of have that as one of our interventions, see how that works, and then we'll continue. I mean, it's a continuous improvement effort to make sure that we look at all the opportunities to try and drive performance. Do we have less of an ability to focus on the doctor because of the, I mean, I'm just... No, um, and, and just to clarify, so yeah. these scores are, are uh, inpatient uh, scores for the most part. It's about the, the course of your stay, but these, these are uh, uh, inpatient largely. Uh, and there was no change in the providers on the inpatient side. Yeah. Oh, good point. Sorry. Yeah, these were those right. were triage yes. docs. Yes. yes, correct. So I just want to clarify that point. Okay. Uh, but the, the leadership changes are are are, are you know valid points. Um, I don't uh, think. I mean, probably from the staff experience perspective, that that uh, uh, is more palpable uh, uh, than to the patients. And I think the patients, mm -hmm. maybe some of them new guys, very uh, active leader. Uh, uh, and, and Joe too, perhaps, uh, but Joe didn't actually provide clinical care, so I think the patient missed for, for, for him. Uh, Fair uh, yeah, so I, I really do, I think what we're seeing now is historically everything is gone well, we're just trying to maintain it. Uh, I think we're seeing now some, some opportunities, and because, as I'll share very briefly, uh, on the uh, inpatient side, a lot of the effort, as Luis was alluding to, uh, the nurses are the you know, primary front and the ones who in, in, engage with patients the most, and so they become a nexus of a lot of opportunity to actually inform and proactively uh, uh, um, influence the patient experience. And so, so I don't think it was necessarily specific feedback, but I, what we wanted you to know is that uh, when we report these dashboards, it's not just a matter of saying the number one up or down, and you know, so be it. There's actual uh, analysis of what's happening here and the patients that are actually yeah. going. So. So that was, and, and, and unfortunately in this case, uh, um, while the efforts I think are pretty um, um, robust, they're not likely to get us to where we need to be, whereas in the other two cases on patient experience, we're actually, they seem to be working quite well and, and to be a contributing factor to it, and that was the other part of what we wanted to run through. So again, apologies that Kinsey's not here, but. Well, I do want to just point out that we're starting to run behind, so, so we'll monitor our, our presentation and time. These are both positive things, so uh, obviously still we should explore what's what's good about these, but maybe uh, a little less detail than, than what something's not going so well. So again, very quickly, on the ambulatory side, so on your dashboard, the, the one that's updated for March, uh, are uh, 
performance in the outpatient side was 64.4% uh, last year. We set a goal of 66.9, so two and a half percent increase. Uh, month to date, we're at 74.4, and year to date, 67. So uh, almost a full uh, uh, three and a half percent increase versus a two and a half goal. Uh, this was just to give you a trend line of sort of various milestone activities that have happened to to improve awareness of what drives CGCAP scores and, and various education initiatives and uh, uh, practice modification uh, uh, efforts in collaboration with ambulatory care leaders and the nursing staff. Uh, and these are you know, kind of things that we continue to do and monitor in terms of their impact, not just on uh, patient experience, but quality and a couple of other things as well. Um, so that's that one. And then the next one is uh, patient experience on the inpatient side. And just to reflect the numbers again from the uh, most recent dashboard, um, uh, last year's uh, uh, performance was 66.3. Uh, we set a 5 percentage across the board, so this is all three acute sites. 5% uh, increase to go from, I'm sorry, 3% uh, improvement to go from 66.3 to 69.3. In February year to date, we were at 70.7 for the month and 69.6, so just slightly above the goal, but, but above the goal, no less. And uh, this is actually to reflect two things. So we're doing a lot of stuff uh, in this uh, fiscal year, which is uh, the latter part of what we're doing. So continuation of eye rounds and bedside uh, shift reports and hourly roundings that are happening, a lot of them focus on the, the nursing care uh, with obviously involvement and engagement of uh, other providers and leaders within the care continuum. Uh, this slide is, so, uh, is to show that, as you know, or many of the trustees know, uh, we've experienced a steady increase in patient experience uh, on the inpatient side for the last couple of years. And, and there's been sort of a, a couple of initiatives that have been underway that we believe have contributed to this, this uh, positive uh, uh, trend line for us on the, on the inpatient side. And actually, uh, we were uh, an unsolicited, uh, or a, uh, we were uh, solicited by the advisory board this year. They reached out to us. Uh, we did use their high round tools. They had looked at the performance that they've seen, uh, not just from um, the use of the tool within AHS, but also uh, the resulting uh, patient experience scores, and in some cases, quality experience scores. And uh, they reached out and said, yeah, what you're doing seems to actually be a pretty remarkable experience. Uh, so they wanted to, they take the experience to work with our nursing leadership to write this up as a quick sort of uh, brief that they wanted to provide to all of their members to say uh, Alameda Health System is, is uh, having some good experience there. And so uh, while I was appreciative of the opportunity to have some some positive light shown on the organization, I had to be convinced myself that there was something here uh, first, so I held this off for quite some time. Uh, but I am convinced that a lot of the efforts, including what uh, we just pointed out, have actually contributed to this and what they uh, pointed out was uh, over the past, uh, since 2016, that we've had an increase in patient experience and uh, perception scores across our inpatient enterprise and a decrease in falls and uh, other hospital-acquired uh, uh, injuries uh, during that same time. So these things don't just impact, uh, some of the work that's done here don't just impact you know, the experience, but the quality as well. And some of the things that they highlighted were 14.2% average uh, percentage increase in the recommend the hospital, so that's the, uh, the score that we reflect. 4.7% uh, average improvement uh, increase in pain management scores um, that are embedded within that score. 15% average percentage increase in responsiveness of uh, providers uh, during that same time frame. And a 5.1 average percent in, um, in rate the hospital for uh, this wait, increase in uh, the, the overall rate the hospital score. Now, apologies, that's the number that we report on the board, so 5.1% overall since 2016. 
And then they uh, just took the second page you see there to highlight uh, some other recognition. Sorry, this was, I'm sorry, a little, a little bit more detail on the responsiveness, the pain management, and the rate the hospital that I just called out uh, across all three sites. And then finally, uh, recognizing then uh, that we work we received recognition from the California agency that's the nursing outcomes uh, uh, agency, CalNOC, uh, for best in uh, uh, best performance in these two categories. And this was not about patient experience, but about quality over that same time period. It's preventing falls, uh, uh, preventing or, uh, the number of hospital-acquired pressure ulcers, and uh, preventing uh, hospital-acquired infections. Uh, which, as you, you can sort of understand, that if you're doing more hourly rounding and uh, bedside shift reporting, you're engaging the patient more, you're turning the patient more, you're, you're preventing some of these uh, uh, common uh, hospital-acquired in injuries from occurring. So. How much do we spend measuring in patient experience? Uh, I don't know the actual number, but I can I can get it. Uh, we have contracts with these agencies to, to do the work for us, uh, so that would be the, the sort of the most direct number in terms of the amount that we spend on this, and I think I can provide that. Okay. And so with that, I think that was it. It was just one announcement that I've already made to you that we're really excited about uh, finally completing uh, uh, the recruitments for the CAO leadership. And uh, we're excited that next month, uh, about a month from today, we'll have uh, uh, Tangerine Brigham joining the organization as our Chief Administrative Officer for Population Health, uh, coming uh, back to the Bay Area from uh, her work in, in this space in uh, uh, Los Angeles County. So excited to have her come on board. And as I told some of you, she was the, uh, the, the, the muscle, if you will, behind Healthy San Francisco, which preceded the Affordable Care Act. So we were providing uh, uh, access, it wasn't insurance, but universal access in the city of San Francisco. It's a very steep, very well, highly regarded uh, uh, professional in this space. I didn't mention that the um, uh, two things, one that the uh, uh, Governor's May revise came out today, so we're we're going to be studying that to in, in, in conjunction with our county partners to see what uh, impact that has on the county's budget, and as a result, in what uh, potential impact it may have on the uh, on the health system. So we'll bring that back to you uh, probably in the, meeting, the next meeting. And then finally, I wanted to mention that we have two new trustees on the. Uh, uh, the Alameda Healthcare District Board uh, that were voted on by the district board members uh, recently, and so uh, uh, we welcome them to the, the, the family, if you will. And uh, Trustee Jensen, I don't know if you wanted to say anything about uh, either of the two or uh, both of the, the two new uh, board members. Uh, you don't have just, to. No, I was just um, kind of I was looking at the title of um, of Miss Miss Tangerine yeah. Uh -huh. And I was trying to kind of visualize how the CAO and this, the administrative officers, whether just the reporting structure, which, does that mean that, that John Chapman and James Jackson would, as the administrative, the administrative, uh, where are their titles? They're also CAOs. Right, right. Um, remember, we have six different business units, so right. we have. Uh, acute care, we have ambulatory, we have post-acute, we have population health, we have AHP, which right. is the physician group and uh, support. So, uh, I think it's one of the behavioral, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, so six, uh, and then we have support services on cover. So, um, 
the CAOs for the acute, uh, which is John and James, report uh, to to Louise, uh, and Latori reports to Kassan. So there's Alameda Health uh, Partners. The Hidro also reports to Louise and Population Health because it has an overarching um, uh, effect and really is a big part of the question as to population uh, capitation and uh, uh, Population Health reports directly to me. And so Ms. Brigham, it's also your director. She will report to me. Okay. Are you? Okay. You've completed. Okay. The the others are written reports, but I'll ask if anybody has a question to, on the written report. David, do you have anything you'd like to point out? I do just have nine. Um, at the finance committee, we reported on a potential event of non-compliance at June 30th with the uh, net negative balance requirements. Um, I've communicated uh, to Steve Manning, who's the County Auditor Controller for that, had a very productive meeting on Monday uh, regarding potential um, ways to address that. Uh, part of our contingency plan was to approach the Alameda Alliance for an advance against these funds that are being delayed. The management of the Alliance is uh, very supportive of that. <clears throat> um, and they're going to present it to the Board of Directors tomorrow. Uh, however, uh, you should be aware that there is uh, not a guarantee that that will be approved. A number of people on the board will have to recuse themselves, including Del Vecchio, but also uh, county uh, county employees. Um, we'll be watching the result of that carefully. I've advised Steve Manning that it potentially will not get approved, um, and we'll have to talk. As you probably know, there's a, a joint um, Alameda Health System County Board meeting next Tuesday. Um, we have uh, developed the form of a formal notice which is required under the agreement and Steve and I will be talking uh, after we find out what the Alliance does about uh, um, you know potentially what other actions we could take to avoid an, an event of non-compliance. Any questions? That's not good news. So just everyone does uh, recall what the trigger for, for this potential uh, challenge is for us, right? In terms of the delay of the reimbursement from the state. Um, nonetheless, actually, I, I don't have a lot to add to what David said. Thank you for, for sharing that, David. Uh, we, we, we're hopeful that this will occur. Uh, we will uh, work with the Alliance and the, the leadership to, to fashion this in a way uh, that, that uh, mitigates to the extent that we can further mitigate what is what what is what we and the alliance manager believe is a very low risk uh, uh, proposition, uh, if there's some other way that we can do this that might be more uh, palatable to the board, uh, then, then we'll try to do that. But um, because of Brown Act and other things, there's only so much we can do in a public setting, uh, or I'm sorry, in the context of the meeting. Uh, so, so as it is mentioned, I and other board members, uh, because it directly impacts us, we'll have to recuse ourselves and so we will we will keep you posted as soon as we, we know. And uh, and at least uh, we we know that the county is aware of this and uh, and will be ready to talk to us about any other sort of mitigating effort. Again for what is ostensibly a a, a fairly uh, low risk uh, situation that's occurring here that that we are we're, we're faced with. So, so we'll keep you posted. Okay. Any questions? David, did you have anything you wanted to add in your report? No, Epic Demos are next week. Uh, we'll be back to the board on 
June 22nd with uh, the proposed meeting vendor decision. Okay. All right. Thank you. Any any other question from any other comments from staff? Okay. Then um, we are ready to adjourn into closed session uh, to discuss government code five four nine five four nine five seven um, public employee performance evaluation. So. Um, we will adjourn the public session and move into closed session.